Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Matthew Loper, who's the co-founder and CEO of Wealth, an innovative company improving health outcomes of patients with chronic conditions using behavioral economics. In this episode, we go through a wide variety of topics, including how Matthew actually got started with this company, going almost three years without taking a salary, raising funds for the company. He recently raised a Series A in 2020 and has raised nearly $20 million for the company so far. The challenges of having a startup in the healthcare industry and why it takes so long to get started with all of that, how he's going about growing his team, and really so much more in this episode, jam-packed full of insights. As always, these show notes are at Just Go Grind dot com slash podcast and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in apple Podcasts. this episode is brought to you by hawk media a full service outsourced cmo based in santa monica california providing guidance planning and execution to grow brands of all sizes industries and business models hawk media is recognized by inc as one of the fastest growing marketing consultancies and their collaborative process a la carte offering and month-to-month Fee structure gives clients the flexibility they need to boost digital revenues and marketing ROI. Hawk Media, the company, has serviced over 1,500 brands of all sizes, ranging from startups like Tomorrow Melon, SIO Beauty, and Bottle Keeper to household names like Red Bull, Verizon Wireless, and Alibaba. And also, I had the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, Eric Huberman, on the podcast in episode number 23, if you want to take a listen. And... To get a free consultation, head on over to hawkmedia.com and be sure to mention Just Go Grind. Without further ado, here is Matthew Loper, co-founder and CEO of Wealth. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Really excited. Yeah, looking forward to, to chatting today. And uh, for people who aren't familiar, I always like to kind of dive into a little bit about the company first. So what is Wealth? Yeah, so uh, I think... You know, kind of the way we view the world is is our unique um, kind of uh, intervention or product and service that we sell to the market. So we sell to anyone who has risk on patient populations, morbidity, and mortality outcomes. Right. So I'm using a lot of jargon here. Bear with me for a second. I think it's <laughs> sure. a little bit more straightforward. Um, so we sell to anyone who who kind of really cares for patients, and especially those patients that have um, serious chronic conditions. Um, we especially focus on underserved populations and patient populations that are Medicaid eligible, Medicare eligible, or eligible for both, right? So we're trying to help the uh, most complex, uh, the most underserved, the, uh, the hardest, uh, you know, elderly and, and um, economically disadvantaged populations you could imagine, those with very serious chronic conditions, so things ranging from diabetes to you know, schizophrenia, serious mental illness, substance use disorders. And what we're just trying to do is we're trying to meet these patients where they are in their own personal care journey and motivate them to improve, right? And when I talked a bit, bit about the way we view the world earlier, what I mean by that is um, the whole healthcare system was created with a classical economic model of human behavior, meaning that we assume that patients will do all the things that they're asked to do because <laughs> it's rationally in their best interest, right? So yeah. we tell these patients go to these doctors, get all these tests done. These doctors are going to prescribe you all sorts of behaviors, right? Whether it's taking medications or changing what you eat or changing how much you move or what, you know, metrics you track on a daily basis from your own body. 
we're asking patients to do all of this stuff and we assume that they'll follow through with it, right? Because who wouldn't, right? It's, it's to help, it's help them have yeah. healthier, healthier life, right? But the problem is, is humans aren't that simple, right? <laughs> we're not perfectly rational beings. We make irrational choices all the time, right? So this field of research called behavioral economics has become very popular. And this is the study of why the why humans make the decisions they make, right? So what we try to do is we try to take this field of research and we apply it to this healthcare problem or this healthcare journey, especially for these very high risk or um, very complicated patient populations. We motivate them to adopt the behaviors they're supposed to adopt, go to all those doctor's visits, take all those meds, track all those metrics, really to help them live a happier, healthier life, right? Our mission is to help patient populations live as long as possible and as healthy as possible, especially those who are underserved. Does that all make sense? Absolutely, Matt. And with that too, I was doing some research on you uh, for this interview, looking at your kind of background, healthcare investing specifically, how did you transition from that to wanting to start a company in the space then? Yeah, you know, I always wanted to start a company. Um, and the reason I went into healthcare investing is because I thought that my dream was to start a biotech company. Uh, my dream was to, uh, you know, kind of study biological engineering and figure out some new, you know, pathway or protein or enzyme or some sort of therapeutic um, and someday create a company out of that and save, you know, hopefully hundreds of thousands or millions of lives with it. Um, along the way, I realized that's a very hard path and probably not something that would work out for me specifically. Um, so I thought, hey, I'll become an investor in healthcare companies and help start, you know, four or five biotech companies a year. Um, long story short, I started to get really interested in the non-biotech side of healthcare. And I had this idea when I was looking at this shift um, from volume-based healthcare or fee-for-service to value-based healthcare, where our, our healthcare system really, you know, actually a lot of this was initiated with um, the Affordable Care Act and a lot of the, the changes that started to go into place in 2012 or so. And we're now for the first time aligning the incentives of the payers and providers of healthcare, right? So the insurance companies and the doctors are for the first time having fi vested financial interests in both working together to improve the outcomes in, in uh, patient populations. And I saw this huge gap of great payers and providers line, aligned incentives make sense, but patients are the ones who matter the most in this equation. And we have to extend these same incentives to the patient. So that's literally the genesis of my idea. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized yeah, I love healthcare investing. I have a really cool job, um, but I really am not. I still feel like something's missing. I want to build something. I want to. I want to achieve this goal of having impact and helping people live healthier, um, longer lives. And I've realized maybe it's not going to work out for me to create a biotech company, but maybe I could create the same impact using these, you know, behavioral economic tools and technology. Uh, and so it's been a, a crazy <laughs> fun journey. Uh, it's been the hardest thing I've ever done. It's been about, I always say two to three times harder than I expected, but it's been 10 times as rewarding. And uh, yeah, there's been a lot of bumps along the way and lessons learned, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. Yeah. And it's been six and a half years. I mean, at least going from a LinkedIn, LinkedIn bio perspective, but a long time with this company. And to your point, it's so difficult to, to build a company. But when you have this idea, you know, you're, you're first going to healthcare investing, you decide, oh, wait, like I want to start a company. I see this opportunity here. What did you do first? Because it can seem overwhelming, especially in this type of thing that can impact so many people potentially. But what did you do first for wealth? Yeah. So I was fortunate in that my day job was to think about changes in the healthcare 
you know, kind of macro environment and talk to thought leaders in the industry. So really what I just tried to do is validate whether or not this was a good idea. And so, <laughs> you know, the first um, call it six, six or so months was just me trying to decide whether or not I wanted to pursue this. Right. So um, really didn't get started and go full time till late 2014 and came to a decision point where it's like, do I leave my, uh, you know, high paying yeah. investing job and go three years with no salary and, you know, take this huge risk? Who, who knows if it's going to pay off or not? But, uh, you know, got to a point where it's just like, hey, I've talked to enough people who think I, I think very highly of them and they know a lot about healthcare and they think it's a good idea. And I'm never if I if I wait, I'm never going to make this move. Right. If I have you know, uh, you know, a, a wife and kids and a mortgage, and then I can't leave this high paying job. Whereas, you know, I'm someone who is still young, who can take risks and can make mistakes. So it was really uh, the first, you know, three <laughs> months was not really, you know, we, we weren't building anything. It was just me deciding whether or not to, to do this. Uh, and then once we, we hit the ground running, it, it was like, you, you jump out of that plane and you don't have a parachute and, and you're off to the races because they're <laughs> turning back. I want to go through that six months though, real quick with what were some of the questions you were asking or, or things you were trying to figure out? Cause I know there's a lot of people who, you know, have ideas for businesses. They either dive in right away and kind of burn out and don't really get anywhere, or they don't do enough of the research side. Like what were you trying to figure out in those six months? And then, you know, when you did decide to do it, like what were some of the things you kind of had either decided or validated that, you know, turned you into like, okay, let's do this. Yeah, great question. Uh, if I had to summarize it all, it was all just trying to make a educated bet on product market fit. And in healthcare specifically, it's very hard to do that because in any other more consumer driven, you know, tech business, you can test product market fit rapidly and cheaply, right? You can have some prototype or some, you know, just hack together some some kind of version one of your product or service right. and put it out there and see if people are willing to use it. And then based on the feedback from the market, you know, pivot, iterate, improve until you get to something with product market fit. In healthcare, right, the problem is, is you can't just put out a product to the market and test it. You have to, it takes literally years to start to prove that it works at scale or whether or not it works at scale, right? Yeah. On average, it takes five years for these health tech companies to get from founding to Series A. And we hit that that same timeline exactly. Right. So if you look at these big companies like Lavongo, which you know sold this year or merged with with um, with Teladoc for a nine billion dollar uh, valuation. If you look at uh, you know one of my close mentors and, and friends, Michael Laskoff's company, Able to, which sold to uh, United Healthcare this year for five hundred million. Right. These huge digital health exits. They were all like the uh, they, they were all the model that we looked at, right? They started before us and they, they were on this track and it took five years just to get to, you know, a few big clients and a couple thousand patients and raising that series A. But then from then on, it just took off, right? So yeah. that's the hard part about healthcare is it's hard to do this lean startup approach and test and learn and all the things that work in, in other, um, you know, areas of the economy. Healthcare, it just, you have to rely on the incumbents to give you access those incumbents have entrenched interests they are very risk averse as they should be because they're literally dealing with patients lives yeah so you you have to do things in a very low risk way and prove it out as you go so those first six months was me you know talking to people in the industry trying to figure out if there was demand for our service trying to figure out if it was something that was able to be executed upon trying to figure out how much money we'd have to raise in order to get this traction what proof points we'd have to validate 
and just trying to get to like, okay, uh, go or no go. Is this something that has legs or not? And, um, as I said, it's been surprising <laughs> how, you know, I thought it was a great bet at the time and it, it so far has been a good bet, uh, you know, but it's still, at, it's still so many things that I didn't anticipate or, um, hard lessons learned along the way, I guess. Yeah. And one of the things that I brought up recently with a couple of different guests is um, I had a guest who left Tesla, a very nice job there to start his company. Another guest left Facebook after being at Google to start his company. What were the conversations with uh, family members like when you decided to leave your, your very nice job to then start your own company? I think I'm very fortunate in that respect. Um, I think, you know, my my parents are, are very supportive and always have been and have known that this is a lifelong dream. And, you know, even though they were very nervous and worried for me, uh, I think they, they were understanding that this is something I have to do because I didn't, I literally said to them, I don't want to be 70 years old and look back and wonder what if, um, even if it's a failure, you know, it, it, I can, I can figure it out right in the future. And the rest of my family was really supportive. I mean, my older brother was one of our first angel investors and my younger brother was literally our very first employee uh, and still works at our company to this day uh, and heads up our design uh, and user interface and user experience work. So uh, I'm very fortunate to have a family that's so supportive and, and was willing to like, yeah, maybe they didn't totally understand the risk I was taking. Maybe, uh, maybe they, they were nervous for me, but they were, um, they were supportive of my decision and backed me. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier the the idea of getting to this point of like five years to really get in with these different providers, different companies in the healthcare system, and understanding that you had these conversations early on, and knowing it's going to be a slog to get to that. Like, what was the initial uh, a team building side of things? I want to start there first in terms of who are going to be the co founders, who is going to be kind of these these first early employees to help you even like start to build this idea out. Yep. So. I, I knew it was going to be this, this slog and I knew that the worst thing we could do is raise too much money off the bat because in that that creates, once you raise money, you set a growth expectation, right? And if you don't hit those timelines, then you're in a very bad place, right? So we yeah. were extremely lean for the first few years. Um, I met my co-founder, Alec, uh, who is our CTO and was so fortunate because he believed in the mission he was willing to leave, you know, a well-funded startup that eventually ended up exiting um, to, to start this company with me. And, you know, basically I took no salary for three years. He took like bare, bare, bare minimum salary just to basically pay for, you know, health insurance and food um, <laughs> for, for the first three years. Um, you know, everyone we hired off the bat, like same story, right? Passed up much higher paying near-term opportunities in order to take a huge sacrifice and come and help us try to build this. And we, we didn't raise money. Uh, you know, we raised friends and family money, just a little seed round. We didn't really raise institutional money until uh, almost two and a half or three years in. And again, like we probably could have gone faster if we had more resources or we had more money, but that initial slog of figuring out that product market fit and getting these small pilots and testing and learning and iterating. I feel like it actually, although on a typical venture timeline, it was a slow um, kind of process in a healthcare market. I think it really is the only way you can do it. If you're touching patient care and patient outcomes, you have to do that slow kind of methodical scientific method of testing and learning and proving the intervention slowly. And then once you have those proof points, 
you start to raise the money in order to build the team and scale it. Um, so yeah, it's, I think it's just a different model than your typical, uh, you know, kind of venture back startup that, you know, six months in, they could be raising a huge series a, and they could have millions of users. It's just not the case in healthcare. Yeah, much different environment you're working in. And and one thing I'm always curious about with these founders, especially when someone comes up with the idea first, like how did you convince Alec to join you to leave a very well-funded startup? I don't know, yeah, obviously exited, but like how did you convince him? Like what were the conversations like around that? I think, you know, we just really connected with similar missions in life, which is, you know, he he was building some really cool stuff. His company was uh, a big data uh, analytics company for the for the music industry. It was called Next Big, big Sound, and um, they actually ended up selling to Pandora. But you know, he was he loved that job. He's a drummer. Uh, he but he really had this passion for healthcare, and he wanted to take all these skills he had developed over the past you know eight years or so working in industry of building you know these these data analytics and, and, you know, software tools and apply it back to healthcare problems. Uh, and that was his dream, right? So we had this shared mission of, of trying to start something that had more impact. Um, you know, I wanted to not just continue to invest in companies and, and make, um, you know, our investors richer. I wanted to build <laughs> something and he wanted to go from like his, his hobby of, of, uh, music and making the music industry more efficient to, you know, saving people's lives. So, I think we had this shared um, mission and core value, uh, and and that was you know actually not easy, but it it made it easier to to make these hard decisions or these sacrifices. Yeah, and and with this getting to that that, that point of, of I guess you could call it an inflection point of of sorts, getting to like a Series A, but there's a lot to a lot that has to happen, especially in healthcare, as you're mentioning. Like, what was though then? the initial version of the product itself and, and, you know, how did you actually, like, obviously you built it with your, your CTO, but what was that initial version understanding that, you know, you have this big mission, this big vision in mind, but you have to start somewhere. Like what was the product initially? Mm -hmm. um, so we focused really on diabetes. It's interesting because, you know, in terms of big major pivots, we haven't had a major pivot but we've had a million tiny little course corrections and learnings along the way. Right. So yeah, at a very high level, the original product was very similar to what we're doing today. But, you know, in terms of how we did it, how we structured the incentives, you know, how we built the product, the user interaction, everything is so different. Right. And and it's it's interesting. Right. Like uh, if if we were to look back at that first product. So what we did is, you know, Alec is, uh, you know, kind of a full stack engineer and, and, and very focused on the back end. Uh, we hired a, 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 a kind of third party um, dev shop to just build the, the mobile side. Yeah. Um, and we, um, you know, kind of hacked this, this product together. And our first pilot was, uh, with, with a diabetes population where we were just trying to prove a, a few key questions, right. Of will people use this? Can, can patients that are more elderly or from, um, backgrounds that may not be, you know, the, the millennial, you know, tech, tech literate type of user be able to use a healthcare tool every day? Will the incentive change uh, behavior and compare that against a group that didn't have the incentive? Does do we get more people to sign up for the program if we're offering them incentive versus not? Right. So these very basic questions about our business we just de-risk at each one at each step and then set the answer the next set of questions. Got more feedback from the users. You know, worked with more and more patients, and you know, went from the first the first pilot was like 110 patients. We saw we proved all those things 
um, that we were trying to prove uh, in, in the data, which was, you know, we could get more people to use it, we could change meaningfully change the behaviors, and we could get, you know, non traditional, you know, you know, non millennial tech yeah. leaders to use the app every day. Um, so then from there, we just continued to build, continue to iterate and uh, continue to look at the research base of behavioral economics and try to figure out how to best create this behavior change. How to create this behavior change on a time series as opposed to just one point in time? How do you actually form habits? How do you layer in other motivators like intrinsic motivators and personalization and uh, autonomy into the app? And it's so cool to see today where we're serving thousands and thousands of patients um, and doing this, you know, in all these different parts of the world uh, because of that initial work and, and building off what you did initially. So it seems slow and it seems, <laughs> uh, it seems hard as you go and you get like kind of lost in the day-to-day battles. But if you zoom out, you know, success is cumulative, right? There's compounding returns on what you've done before, right? Each failure makes you stronger if you survive it and you go from there. With these patients as well, you mentioned getting a hundred something patients on board. Where did those first, that first population come from? Um, so we got a small budget from a pair. Um, we went to, um, a in-person diabetes walk-a-thon from the American Diabetes Association. Um, and we were able to enroll people in person, uh, in New York city where we were located and uh, what a time in person. That's crazy. Uh, with that too, then, so understand that you, you got people from that to try it out because that's what you need to validate the concept. You needed people to be able to actually use this so you can start to play with it and get that feedback as you mentioned then. But getting from there to getting thousands of people on board, tell me, take me through kind of how you're going about this process of of working with the different populations, like finding a way to actually get more people on on, on the app. Like how has the growth side of it gone for you the last few years? Yeah. Um, so I think you know, each, each step we're trying to learn new stuff, right? So going from enrolling people in person one by one to enrolling people over the phone remotely, um, trying to learn what works and what doesn't. Right. Um, so all of that has, has kind of, again, like built on each other and, and built to these bigger and bigger populations and kind of answered the key questions of how we can do this at scale. As you've gone along with this, Matt, you, you've obviously come a long way from the beginning and it was a very daunting problem. Uh, but you, you, you have made it past that series a you've raised that you, you've, you've progressed going back to the team real quick. Uh, how has that evolved as you've grown this company in terms of growing the team itself? Yeah. So it's just, you know, kind of continuing to, you know, set this core core value set, set this culture and build out capabilities and, and new team members with new skill sets on top of that. Right. So, went from just, you know, kind of the product and engineering people and, and me on the BD side to building out that BD team, having a great team on sales and marketing, having a great team of serving the members, right? So our member enrollment specialists and our member support specialists who actually talk to the members every day, that human element yeah. you know, in healthcare can't just be digital. So building out the best practices in this great team that's you know empathetic to the member and the member journey is so important. Uh, and then continuing to build out that, that product and engineering team. Uh, so it's been interesting because at each step, right, bringing more people into this culture and this mission, uh, and you have more resources and you can actually pay people, um, you know, more of a market um, salary is, is hugely important. 
Yeah, to build the, the best team for something that you want to accomplish so much with this is, uh, I think you can't you can't really overstate that that part of it as well. And I know you mentioned the you know you had bootstrap percent not bootstrap but family and friends smaller round in for like the first two and a half years. Those conversations with then investors when you're raising money for this, understanding it's a healthcare uh, company. How did you go through that process of raising your institutional capital? Yeah, so we um, we really focus on strategic investors. Um, so because we have long sales cycles, we wanted capital that helps us close that sales cycle a little bit and move a little bit more quickly. Um, so our first major investor was AXA, who is a large life insurer here in the U.S. and outside of the U.S., a large health insurer. And then built from there, right? So a number of our investors have been strategic in nature. Um, Davida, most recently in our most recent Series A, New York Life is another life insurer along the way in our seed round. Um, Barrier Ingelheim, a large pharma company from Germany. Uh, so all of these investors bring you know strategic advice, but also opportunities and opportunities to sell our services more quickly. With this as well, looking looking back to the fact that like it's so difficult, and you're a first time first time founder, right? I just want to confirm that with you. Yes. Yeah, first time founder. W- what has been helpful from a, a support? perspective as you're going about this because there's no one telling you what to do. I mean, I'm just curious as to like what's the support system looked like for you or where have you, you know, gone to kind of learn and evolve as a as a founder CEO? Yeah, I think it's getting great mentors and along the way and great investors who are looking to help you and looking and you know my criteria when I meet with investors is who do I want to be in the trenches with, you know, taking grenade fire uh, when th- times are bad as opposed yeah. to you know, who's going to be the most helpful when times are good. Um, so that's kind of what I look for is finding people who've done it before, finding mentors from the industry that really understand the industry and are just great people that you trust and, and want to get advice from. And then going back to the fact that this is obviously a healthcare company as well. I mean, what are the challenges that come along with that? I know you mentioned uh, longer sales cycle. Uh, it can be you know, even five years or so to even really get to a, a good point with it. For other entrepreneurs out there who are in healthcare or thinking about getting in, into healthcare in terms of starting companies, I'm just curious on what challenges they should think about and maybe what you've done to kind of overcome some of those. Obviously, it's not a, it's not a, a one thing necessarily, but even just a couple of things you, you'd like to talk about. Yeah, I'd say, you know, first bucket is all those market forces, right? Understand who the customer is, who's going to pay for it, and how do you how do you work within this this system, this complicated system? Um, how do you prove value out? Uh, second would be regulations, right? So healthcare is the most regulated industry there is, right? So understanding whatever you're doing, there's probably some regulations related to how you do it and making sure you're compliant with all those regulations is hugely important. Um and then third is just those timelines, right? Making sure that you understand when you're getting into it and your capital strategy is aligned with the timelines and it's always going to take longer than you expect. So always having, you know, more conservatism built into your projections than, than necessary. And, and with the product itself, uh, understanding it's evolved over, over time here, but take me through a little bit more in depth of what the, the product looks like, what the aspects of that are. I know there's a number of things in terms of like paying people for a certain number of adherence. I'm curious as to like what that looks like today for people who are curious as to the actual like product of it. Yeah. So let's, let's talk through it like a, a standard patient journey just I think is more instructive. So like, yeah. let's say like um, someone with, with high blood pressure, right? They are prescribed blood pressure medications. They know that 
if they don't control this blood pressure, eventually it may lead to something really serious like a stroke or a heart attack. But every day you don't wake up and say, oh, my blood pressure is acting up today, right? It's, you can't feel it day to day. Yeah. You also know that, you know, you're supposed to keep track of that blood pressure. You're supposed to eat low sodium foods to control that blood pressure. Um, so you know all these things, right? And you want to do them. But the problem, again, comes back to the things that um, make you f feel good right now, like eating that slice of pizza or, um, you know, sitting on the couch and watching Netflix aren't actually good for you, right? And the things that are good for you, like taking those medications, don't make you feel any different right now. <laughs> or, you know, it's, it takes time or effort, right? Or eating, you know, that healthy choice might not be the most appetizing thing. So that is a phenomenon called present bias by behavioral economists, which means that humans are motivated by the instant and tangible gratification they get from doing the behaviors, not what they rationally know is good for them down the road. So when we um, think about solving this problem, we endow the progress up front. We say, here's a, here's some money just to download this app and sign up for the program, right? Um, that's called the endowment effect. That's what Richard Thaler from University of Chicago got the Nobel Prize for predominantly. It's the same reason that American Airlines says, here's 60,000 miles just to sign up for a credit card today, right? Yeah. By giving you that credit up front, we get very high enrollments into the offer. Every day we're saying, do the behaviors you're supposed to today to avoid losing two of those dollars, right? Whether it's, you know, taking those medications as prescribed, tracking those meals that are low sodium, or on a weekly basis, taking those blood pressure readings at home. And that threat of loss, right, is twice as motivating as a potential gain, gets really high um, rates of adherence to the behavior, right? So we get about 90% of the patients to do the behaviors every day. And then over the course of time, we really start to form these habits and say, okay, um, you're doing the behavior every day. Uh, it looks like you're getting this point of habit formation. And how do we start to support you in longer and longer timeframes at lower and lower incentives on a daily basis um, to, to keep the behavior going and maximize the ROI for a customer? So that's, that's really kind of how it works. So the app, you know, we do this outreach, we have this high touch, you know, human intervention again, right? The, the, the human element is very important to build that trust and to help the members, especially since some of these folks are very elderly and don't really understand how to use apps or technology. Then once they're onboarded, we're supporting them along the way, right? So that every day they're asked to do those behaviors to avoid losing $2. And they simply snap a photo of those, you know, pills, for example, as prescribed, we use computer vision, artificial intelligence to verify, yep, those are the right pills. Great job. You kept the $2 for the day and reinforce it every day. Yeah. yeah reinforcing it consistently. And, and what are you seeing? I mean, what kind of numbers are you just like in general increase with people using, using wealth or any, any numbers around that you can share about like how that's helping uh, patients? Yeah. So I'll, I'll cite one of our um, randomly controlled studies that was published. Um, um, you know, in, in that population, it was done at university of Pennsylvania looking at the 90 days after uh, discharge from a heart attack. And we were able to get 90% of the patients to take the pills every day as prescribed, right? Which is pretty, um, pretty much very indicative of what we generally get to happen. And in that study, um, the wealth intervention produced a 45% reduction to the, the readmissions, the, the follow-up hospitalizations that happened within those 90 days um, it, it, versus the control group, right? So the control group, 24% of those patients went back to the hospital for another heart attack within those 90 days, uh, which is very standard for, for most hospitals. And then uh, in our group, only about 12% end up going back. That's awesome.
and Matt, I, with that, so there's so many things you're, uh, that you could be working on in theory with this business and understanding the role of, of CEO and being the founder of this company. I'm curious, it's like today, like uh, now at this point in the company, I mean, what is most of your, your time spent on now? Yeah, I'd say the past several years, most of my time was spent on fundraising and selling. Um, I'd say now we're building out a team to do that selling. Um, and frankly, they're, they're better at it than I am. So a lot of my uh, mindset is shifting from doing everything and being involved in every sales process and every uh, customer to, you know, trying to create scalable systems and support people and um, build a team and, uh, you know, set a strategy for that team. Um, so it's a, it's a definite shift in, you know, how I spend my time and mindset, but um, it's an interesting one, right? And it brings its own set of challenges. With that too, I mean, he mentioned kind of the sales side of it with with bringing up building a team for that. I mean, how are you prioritizing which partnerships you want, which companies, you know, providers you want to work with? How do you go about that side of things, Matt? Yeah, so you know, we look for a shared mission. You know, serving the underserved population. We look for um, you know populations where we can really impact um, the outcomes by selecting for patients that are higher risk or a history of non-adherence previously or, um, you know, poor outcomes. Uh, and we really, we really try to find um, partners that are uh, more innovative and thinking about, um, you know, equity and, um, you know, social determinants of health, right? We, we're looking for people who are devoted to making this healthcare system better and serve member populations that come from diverse cultural backgrounds that have their own, you know, economic disparities that affect their healthcare outcomes, and are trying to address those issues and fix them for the better. Um, so, I think there's a lot of finding people with shared missions and 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 you know, kind of core values that want to be, you know, choose to work in the space they work because they want to create impact as well. So, uh, when we find that, it usually fits nicely with our mission. Yeah. And one thing I want to go back to, kind of uh, one of the, my previous guests, Iman Abuzid from Incredible Health, she referenced how founders really, it's a matter of they need to constantly kind of invest in their, their own psychology and, and in themselves to improve as founders as, and as CEOs, especially as, as the businesses grow. How are you investing in your own kind of, of learning or and also like your own mental health to make sure you're you know, a top performer every single day? Um, great question. Uh, I think it's really hard to be a founder and I think, uh, having a support network, you know, through friends, family, loved ones, or mentors is really important. Um, I think, um, being able to start to prioritize your own health as well is important. Um, you know, there was a period of last year in particular where I was on the road every other week. I was, you know, flying on flights across the country, not getting good sleep, eating whatever was in the airport. And, you know, I just got to a point where I was really unhealthy physically and I was feeling tired and I was, you know, the heaviest I've ever been. And, uh, you know, silver lining through the pandemic is I haven't ha I haven't been able to travel uh, for work or yeah. really purposes, obviously, but um, it's it's made me um, prioritize my health and my sleep quality and uh, trying to get back in shape. So, um, you know, I've actually lost 15 pounds since the pandemic started. Uh, <laughs> My man. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I feel like 
that is so important um, as a founder. If you're not, if you don't have the energy or if things aren't going well, uh, you're not going to be able to get through it. If you're in a, in a if you're in, a, in, a, in an unhealthy mental state or physical state, which, you know, really go hand in hand. Yeah, absolutely. And it, uh, it's like, we need the reminder, I feel like every day of that, you know, anyone who started a company, like, you need that reminder almost because it is so consuming, like all consuming. And having talked to just dozens and dozens of founders, it's like, you know, they're, they all have some way of managing kind of the mental health, try, trying to kind of stay healthy physically as well. But it, it's so difficult when you want to spend all your time and need to a lot of times spend as much time as we do on, on building companies. And uh, it's just, it's a challenge trying to figure out what that, what that will be for you on the health side, getting back into shape. What have you, uh, what have you focused on? I'm just curious. Um, I, I'm getting more and more interested in, the data around fasting. Um, so I've, I've always, I've done, you know, kind of the, the typical like intermittent fasting of, you know, 16 hours, uh, not eating and eight hours eating per day for yep. since like 2012 or 2013 or so. Um, but I've started to do more and more prolonged fasts. So, uh, I've, I've done like a three day fa water only fast. I've done several, uh, you know, kind of 36 hour fasts um, recently. Um, and around those fasts, I, I typically do like a ketogenic diet to get into ketosis, then do a fast and then do a ketogenic diet coming out of, um, the fast for a week, uh, and slowly ease back in. And then, you know, kind of trying to do, trying to actually, you know, hit my workouts and, and not make excuses for them and, <laughs> you know, make sure they get done. Easier said than done sometimes. Of course, I, I think I, I feel pretty fortunate to have been, uh, one, like an athlete in college, but also had an exercise sports science degree in undergrad. Uh, and so the, the health and fitness side is just so ingrained in me. It's just like, I can't really help but just working out. I like, need to every day for like mentally just to like have a break from work. Uh, and two, just like, I think it's just something I will always, always do, but it's so hard if you don't have, you don't have that habit built. And just like you're working with patients on these habits for taking meds or whatever else it may be, like building that habit is everything. Have there been uh, any impactful books, whether it be personal or professional, that you know have really helped you in the last number of years with wealth? Yeah, uh, I'll come back to that in a second. Just wanted to ask, what what did you play in college? So I played football. I played football in uh, Division three school. Awesome. I played Division three baseball. So uh, I actually found it hard. You know, to your point, you you were able to just you know, stick with your, your, uh, your workout regimen once you left school. But for me, it was actually hard because my motivation was always, uh, to work out, to be a better basketball or baseball player. Yeah. <laughs> once I was no longer competing or playing, like I lost that motivation and I, I, I had to rebuild it over time, uh, to just, you know, do it because it was good for me. And I actually truly intrinsically enjoy it. But, you know, once I lost that competitive edge, uh, that's when my, my workout started to fall off uh, to that, to that point. I think you're still, you gotta find something that's, uh, for me at least, like, it. I was only able to continue. I mean, yeah, I'd say intrinsically, I, I like to do it in a way, but I always like, I need something to compete against. Like I've been using Strava for running since the pandemic and that's been helpful because it just i can see my stats i can compare to other people's runs and stuff i want to be faster you know like that it helps as a former athlete thinking through it that way i think something of competitiveness even if it's against yourself and trying to just best yourself uh for me at least has been helpful so back to your previous question <laughs> but 
best book I've ever read um, in, you know, kind of a, a nonfiction, like, I guess it's a business book, but I don't think it really is. I think it's more a life book is uh, Phil Knight's uh, Shoe Dog, uh, which is the story of how he started Nike. And the reason I love it is, first of all, I, uh, I have been a huge Nike fan, you know, as a huge basketball fan growing up in the 90s. Uh, yeah. Jordan was everything and his shoes were my most prized possessions. Uh, the few that I was able to convince my parents to buy, uh, I was, you know, I treated those shoes like they were, um, you know, a pot of gold. Um, so hearing the founding story of Nike is so interesting, especially um, when you look back at it and, you know, we view them as this behemoth, this, you know, this huge, you know, massive, you know, best in class company in their industry. But if you read Shoe Dog, you actually learn Nike is um, the story of perseverance and Phil Knight. It really took him about 10 years just to get that product market fit. Like initially Nike actually was blue ribbon sports and he was a distributor of Japanese running shoes in the U S he didn't even make the shoes and he only had one client. Uh, and that one client canceled their contract and Nike was born. The brand Nike was born out of necessity because they lost their one shoe contract and as a distributor, they didn't have any shoes to sell. So they had to make their own shoes. And, um, you know, there was maybe a dozen near death experiences over those first 10 years. Uh, and the story of shoe dog is just going through in detail, all those hardships they had to overcome. And so it's, you know, I think a lot of times the, you know, kind of pop culture, you know, perpetuates this idea that these huge, um, these huge you know, success stories were just overnight successes that are, you know, and it was just so easy and they were just off to the races. But uh, in actuality, um, I think it's, it's those who are able to overcome the most and, um, and, and continue to fight another day and almost die, but just barely survive, get to the point. And he talks about, there's one specific quote, uh, I'm going to probably butcher it. um, (laughs) He says uh, something to the effect of, uh, I know that for some business is about uh, the pursuit of profits, full stop. Um, but for us, uh, making money was no more uh, about Nike as uh, making blood is to the human body, right? We all have to make red and white blood cells and distribute them evenly to all the right places on time or else we die. But um, no one sits around and thinks about making blood, right? We yeah. achieve these higher aims. And for him, business is about achieving those higher aims and making a, a product or a service or something new that uh, serves a customer and makes their life better or ha- makes them happier or makes them healthier. And uh, if that's business, then yeah, he's a businessman, right? So um, he also talks about that shift from those 10 years of hardships and changing his mindset from not losing to winning, right? And I think um, my mindset and our journey so far has just been trying to not lose and not die. Uh, And I'm starting to see this shift in our business to thinking about winning. And that's a really exciting transition to go through. I just want to highlight that it is a phenomenal book that I've now read or listened to multiple times because it is such an incredible story. Uh, So I'm glad you brought that up. And, and two, because of how long it took him, obviously it's, it's motivating to like understand that you can accomplish these big things. It takes time. And you mentioned that you're kind of shifting within your company. 
I mean, what's next for wealth and what is kind of, you know, the massive big vision you, you have for this company? Yeah. I mean, our, our massive big vision is that, um, this whole healthcare system was created with this classical economic model of human behavior, which is just purely not true for, for a large portion of the population, right? People, about half of the patients don't just do what they're supposed to do every day. So um, our vision is that someday this standard of care ha- understands and meets patients where they are and, and embraces humanity as opposed to denying it uh, and embraces the fact that humans are, are irrational beings. And for every patient with one of these chronic conditions, they're not just getting a prescription for behaviors or medications or, or you know, devices. They're also getting uh, a behavioral intervention to help overcome these these behavioral issues or these cognitive biases that we all have and we all fall victim to. And so our vision is to create that future where um, it's really a, a must have, um, you know, kind of service that people are providing to every patient with a chronic condition. Uh, so that's our dream. And we hope to, to be the company that does it. Love it. And I, I love uh, hearing about companies that really are impacting people's lives in a positive way on a, on a day-to-day basis. And I'm very excited to release this episode and, and tell more people about wealth. Where can people go to learn more about wealth though and connect with you if they want to as well, Matt? Absolutely. Um, so we, uh, you can you can find us on LinkedIn or, or any social media outlet. Um, you can find us on our website uh, is wealthapp.com. That's W-E-L-L-T-H-A-P-P.com. Awesome. And Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you for having me, Justin. It's been awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.